okay, the, 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 the microphone wasn't on, and so it wasn't me. And so, you know, I'm getting it from all sides. I said, no, blame me all you want, it wasn't me. <laughs> okay. So good to have you with us tonight. Would you please uh, turn to Ezekiel chapter 3. While you're turning there, I want to make one kind of a pre-announcement announcement, announcement. but uh, we're going to be uh, announcing fairly soon a trip to Israel in uh, March of 2017. That's a year, a year from uh, this new month, so uh, more details hopefully will will come on, uh, on Sunday, or the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. So, All I did was put it on mute. Uh, I'm, I'm okay now? Ezekiel chapter 3. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to read it and to study it. We ask for the anointing and blessing of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, that what we study will be rightly divided. We ask, Lord God, that you will grant us your wisdom and understanding, not only as to what is happening in this particular chapter, what it is representing for the future, and what it means to us today. In all of these things, Lord God, we seek your wisdom and guidance and help. And thank you so much for your word that is true. And because it is, we stand upon it, Lord God. When we make no, we make no bones about it, then we are not ashamed of it. And we're thankful for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The prophet Ezekiel is now a captive in Babylon, having been taken away from Jerusalem in 597 B.C. during the Babylonian second siege upon Jerusalem. Daniel, of course, had been taken in 606 B.C. during the first siege by the Babylonians in, in uh, Judah and in Jerusalem. And so these prophets, Daniel and Ezekiel, were contemporaries in Babylon, although they ministered in different locations. As we'll see in our text, Ezekiel ministered about 200 miles north of the city of Babylon in a place called Tel Aviv. Not the Tel Aviv in Israel, but the Tel Aviv in, uh, in our text. We'll, we'll get there in just a little bit. Which, uh, which simply means uh, the mound of, of green or the mound of green corn or green grain, as it were. Which was nothing more than a prison camp, actually for the captives of Judah. Daniel, on the other hand, had become a statesman and his ministry took place in the city of Babylon itself. But now, 
the best way to describe the, the transition from chapter 1 to chapter 2, which we've already looked at in the first few weeks of our study in, in, in uh, Ezekiel. But the best way to describe the transition from chapter 1 to chapter 2 is from seeing a vision to hearing a voice. From seeing a vision to hearing a voice. And I refer you to Ezekiel chapter 28, uh, verse, uh, well, Ezekiel 1, verse 28, I should say, where it says, As the appearance of the, of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. That was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And we said in our first study that that first chapter was all about Ezekiel seeing this vision and getting this vision and having visions of God. But what he sees is this vision of the glory of the Lord, as it tells us here. And what, He said, when I saw it, I fell upon my face. And I heard a voice of one that spake. So from seeing a vision, he goes to hearing a voice. But he does so in a humble position. And after seeing the visions of God's glory, Ezekiel is commissioned then by the Lord to go, down, to, go to his own people in captivity. A people that are described as impudent children and stiff-hearted. They were rebellious, in other words, stiff-faced and without shame. That is what impudence means, to be stiff-faced and without shame. The stiffness of face uh, referring to arrogance. The stiff-heartedness referring to their attitude. And they were hard-hearted, which means they were stubborn. A stubborn, rebellious people. That's what got them in trouble in the first place. That's what got them to be taken out of their own land and taken to a foreign land, taken as prisoners to be slaves to their own enemies. And so before he could understand the sin of the people and then to go to a sinful people, Ezekiel needed to understand the glory of God. And he needed to get a glimpse of who God is. And I've mentioned many times in the last few weeks how, how sad it is that in our day and time, the church and people in the body of Christ and people, you know, uh, that, that uh, profess to be believers and, and Christians look at sin as a very light thing. So looking at it from the standpoint of a prophet, a prophet couldn't look at things from, from a light position. I mean, they had to see the... They had to see the reality of the contrast between the holy God that they served and the people that they were called to preach the message of God's word and, and to whom they were to preach it. And, and, and so Ezekiel really stands in, in a position for all, all uh, prophets even though we see other prophets have their time of visions with God and, and, and times alone with God. But this is so clear of, of this, this need for him to understand the glory of God before understanding and dealing with the sins of the people. 
And what we find in Ezekiel's commission, which is in chapters 2 and 3, is that he is warned at the outset that he's going to be called into a life of hardship and he's going to be called into a life of of persecution. And and you can read that back in in verses 6 through 8 of chapter 2. But listen, have have you ever felt the Lord nudging you to talk to somebody about him? I think most of us, if, if, if we really are sincere about our faith in Christ and all, we, we, we've all been nudged, as it were. Maybe not nudged sometimes, maybe just shook, you know, shook to, the, to the rafters, you know, to talk to somebody, to tell someone about Jesus. And what goes through your mind when this happens? What if we know they're not going to listen? What if we're scared? What if, what if they look really scary? What if they say mean things? What does it matter? You see, the assurance that God gives Ezekiel is, listen, you're going to be strong when you deal with these people. And I will be with you. So be strong. Don't look at your weaknesses. Don't look at your your inabilities, as it were. You trust in me. And even the prophets had to be encouraged about their calling and the attitudes that they were to have in the midst of their calling. Keep those things in mind as we pick up with the verses leading into chapter 3. So if you'll go to chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. When I looked, behold, a hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. Remember, a scroll. This was a book, the kind of books that they had in that time. It was a scroll. And he spread it before me, it says in verse 10. And it was written within and without, which means it was written on both sides of the scroll. And there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. And in verse 1 of chapter 3, it goes on to say, Moreover, sorry, this thing's not responding right. I think this froze. Oh, we're in one over here, but not, okay. That's kind of, you guys are not helping me. Go back. Verse 1, chapter 3. See, now we were, that's called dueling banjos. We want... Verse 1 of chapter 3, is it there? It's not there on my thing here. All right, I'm going to trust you. Okay, verse 1. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat eat that thou findest. Eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. 
And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did, it, did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. The prophet has been encouraged to be fearless and faithful in his commission. But before the mission begins, Ezekiel received the message that he needed it, that, that he needed. He needed this message. And it was delivered to him in the form of scrolls, the book of those ancient times. And he was commanded to eat the scroll, as was John the Apostle in Revelation chapter 10, verse 9. And if you remember in our introduction to the book of Ezekiel, we talked about how closely related the book of Ezekiel is to the book of Revelation and the book of Revelation uh, to the book of Ezekiel. But there in, in verse 9, it says, And I, I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And, his, and he said unto me, and by the way, that book is not a regular book, but a scroll as well. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. As it would be for John, it was for Ezekiel. The message was sweet in the mouth, which may mean that the prophet found joy in being God's messenger, even though the message was one of woe and judgment. But the sweetness came from the source of the words, the Lord. The sweetness came from the Lord rather than the content of the words, which was judgment. And the words of, of Jeremiah bear this out. When you look at Jeremiah 15, verse 16, and it says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord, God of hosts. And so the words are sweet because those words come from God himself. But they were bitter to his belly. And usually when you have to go give a, 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 a message of this type, that's usually where you, you struggle with the most, you know. <clears throat> we all have butterflies from time to time when we get nervous or we get to the point where we uh, have to do something and we're, <clears throat> even though we're relying upon the Lord, we're, you know... We, we really feel it right in the, in the gut, as they say. But eating the book signified thoroughly digesting its contents. And please take this with you when, you when you consider this, because this is how it is for us. That as you eat the Word of God, you're thoroughly digesting its contents so that its message would become a part of you. As Ezekiel partook of this, certainly in, 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 his, in his vision, but nonetheless as he's partaking of this, the message would become a part of the prophet. He would eat and it would become a part of him. We've been, we've been looking at this actually nine, nine weeks we spent in John chapter 6 recently. And, and there in chapter 6, uh, Jesus was making that point. 
We ourselves just need to make sure that as we, as we proclaim Christ's message, that we give God's words and not our opinions, nor our personal thoughts or even our convictions. But if we do, we should say that they are our opinions and why they are. But never confuse the two. Thus saith the Lord is much more important than thus saith me. The scroll given to Ezekiel was written on both sides, as we saw in verse 10 of chapter 2, indicating the extensiveness of the troubles that were to come upon the rebellious Jewish captives. But I want you to consider once again the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, there John says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, again, something written inside and outside in a scroll sealed with seven seals. And of course we know that that's the Lord Jesus. And he's got the seven, or he's got this, uh, the scroll with the seven seals. Writing, written inside and outside. And we know what's going to happen in the book of Revelation when, when the seals start to be broken and what's going to be happening in the days to come. So there are some very important connections between the book of Revelation and the book of Ezekiel, as we will see more and more in our, in our study. The people themselves would be stubborn and they will be rebellious, but Ezekiel would be strong and courageous. Now we, we hear Ezekiel's instructions to the nation of Israel in verses 4 through 9. And he said unto me, Son of man, go, get thee unto the house of Israel and speak with my words unto them. Once again, the encouragement that Ezekiel is being given, actually the exhortation, but it is encouragement. He's being encouraged to go and speak to the people, his own people, the people of the children of Judah, to speak with them his words, God's words. Which means that we are to take God, God's words and change them in any way, shape, or form. Speak with my words unto them. You tell them what I tell you to tell them. For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel. I'm not sending you to some foreign land where they speak funny or they speak harshly. I'm sending you to your own people. Which is interesting because in verse 6, the Lord says to Ezekiel, not to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language whose words thou canst not understand. Surely had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. If I would send you to one of these places, they're going to listen to you. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee. Now the Lord's already telling them, you go tell them what I'm telling you to tell them, but they're not going to listen to you. Now, what would you do? I think if it's the Lord telling me, I think I should go ahead and do what he says. Right? Don't you think? Why is it that we think we're smarter than the prophets? In our day and time, we read something and we say, well, I'm not really sure that that's really what God means. Maybe I better go check on some really light-hearted translation or something. Folks, that's sometimes what happens. Not all the time, but that's sometimes what happens. God's word has begun to be weakened and, and where, where we have taken uh, uh, manuscripts that were, that were right and, and, and proper, you know, we, we go looking for manuscripts that make, make things sound a little easier. We have to be very careful about that. 
I'm not saying that all translations are bad. I'm just saying that, you know, sometimes we go out looking for something so that we could, so it can sound more like what we want to hear rather than what God's really saying. Besides, the, older, the, older, the, 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 the proper manuscripts, when I say that, for example, you know, we use the King James here, New King James, based upon the uh, uh, Textus Receptus and, you know, the received text and all of that, uh, and, and those particular manuscripts. But, but, but there's, there's a lot to be said about that because when, we, because when we go to the literal translation of things, we are getting word-for-word translation. But, the, 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 but most of the newer translations don't do literal translation. They do what's called dynamic um, uh, type of translation, which is uh, giving you thoughts, which means that if you deal with thoughts instead of word-for-word translation, you're going to get somebody else's thoughts sometimes because you're, you're interpreting thought rather than interpreting word-for-word. Anyway, this is not a study on that, but, but the point of the matter is this. We, we can't change God's word to soften the blow. When we read something and God is speaking to our hearts and it, and it impacts us and it brings conviction from the Holy Spirit, man, we better listen to God. So the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. <laughs> for all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. What is God saying? All the house of Israel is stiff-faced and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. As an adamant harder than flint have I made thy forehead. Let me just say that the word adamant there just means unbreakable or an unbreakable stone. That's literally what it is. It is a stone that is unbreakable. The word adamant is often used uh, in, in this language, uh, and, and I say the, the older English language, was used for a diamond. So it was used for an unbreakable stone. And this is, this is what the translation means here. As an adamant harder than flint have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. And what did I say to you earlier? You know, they may look, they may look mean to you. But don't be afraid. Don't dismay. Be strong and courageous. The Lord gave Ezekiel the very special mission of reaching his fellow Jewish exiles, even even though they were stiff-faced and hard-hearted against God. If if God had sent Ezekiel to a foreign land, as I said earlier, uh, where people spoke an obscure language, his his task would have been difficult enough, but, but not nearly as difficult as trying to reach his own people, the Jews. He could reach foreigners faster than he could reach the Jews. And the Lord warned him in no uncertain terms that the Jewish people would not listen to his message because they had rejected God's holy word. Their hearts were too stubborn and hardened and inflexible to heed his message. Jesus himself, in his earthly ministry, rebuked certain Jewish cities that that saw his Mighty works, and still, still they rejected him. Consider Matthew 11, verse 20. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Verse 21, woe unto thee, Chorazin. 
Woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And by the way, the people of Tyre and Sidon spoke a strange and hard language. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. What an indictment from the mouth and the lips of Jesus to cities that have rejected, that had rejected his, his works. In essence, they were rejecting who he was, and oftentimes when Jesus says that they're rejecting him, they're actually rejecting his Father. What this teaches us is that with knowledge comes responsibility. With knowledge comes responsibility. We're accountable for what we know about God's Word. And by rejecting it, the stricter judgment will come upon us. A language barrier can be overcome, but a hard heart, a rebellious heart, is very difficult to overcome, as we see here with the children of Israel. Even at this point, when they are in captivity in Babylon, they still are rejecting the voice of God and the prophets of God. They're going because they have disobeyed God. They're, they're, they're being run out of their own city of Jerusalem, the city of God, the city of David, the, 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 the city called Mount Zion, the holy city. And they're being taken to a foreign land to be slaves because of their rebelliousness, because of their disobedience. Because their disobedience and rebellion was a, was a sign of their rejection of God as their God. And still, in captivity, they rejected the voice of God. And at times, even the prophets of God. Now understand that even though there were individuals responding to the Lord, like Jeremiah, like Ezekiel, like Daniel, like Habakkuk, and so on. The nation as a whole had turned from the Lord. You see, as ambassadors for Jesus Christ, we are representing him to the people of this world. Now, we may not be in all the areas of the world that uh, we can see on a globe or on a map. But wherever we are, we represent Christ. Wherever we are, we represent the kingdom of God. We represent the creator of the heavens and the earth. And we represent him to the people of this world. And as representatives of the kingdom of light to a world in darkness, 
we're many times going to be rejected by them. Many times. And they're not really rejecting us, but the king that we represent. They reject him, not us. They reject the one who sent the prophets. They reject the one who sends us. But I would encourage you, don't be discouraged. Because if they persecuted the Lord, they will persecute us also. Now, I don't know what happened here because I don't see another slide coming up. We're back to the beginning. I have to start over now because this is... This is telling me I have to start over. Okay. I think they're, they're getting, they're going to get us caught up here. And we're going to go to John 15, verse 18. That's, that's where you're going to go. So you can do that in your Bibles, which you ought to be doing anyway. All of this is just helpful, you know, for us, but it's not here. You know, this isn't your Bible. You don't take this home with you. You, you take uh, uh, your Bibles home, so you can open them up. John 15, verse 18, it says, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. You remember last week, uh, this, this past weekend, that we were talking about the brothers of, of Jesus and how they, they, they really had rejected him as Messiah early on. And Jesus said, the world, you know, doesn't hate you, it hates me. But later on, of course, in the Gospel of John, this is what he's, what he's saying. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. And that, that had to have been hard for Jesus to say to his own brothers. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Stop there and think about that one for just a moment. Stop and think about how many people talk about knowing God already or knowing or, or believing in God. I believe in God, but they never tell you which God. And everybody has some, uh, some conception of what God is, if, you know, notwithstanding there are those who don't believe in God. But then you could actually argue with them and say, you do believe in God, and the God that you believe in is yourself. So you do believe in a God. You just don't believe in a, an everlasting God. They know not him that sent me. We have to, we have to know the God that sent Jesus, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. the everlasting God, the one true God, the one and only God that there is, 
who sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. All these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. They have no excuse. Because I have come. So this was going to be a difficult ministry that the Lord was placing Ezekiel in. There would be some evil looks being thrown his way. I've had evil looks being thrown my way even on Sunday morning. He would butt heads with people. And as hard and as tough as things might get, the Lord is telling the prophet not to back down. Don't give up. But be strong in the faith. Be strong in the Lord. He says to Ezekiel, be strong in me. And be courageous. Anytime that the Lord would say this to anyone, as he said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. He wasn't expecting Joshua to be strong and courageous in and of himself. Time and again, the Lord would say to Moses and to Joshua and to all the leaders that we find in the Scriptures that God would be with them. God was their strength. And he was exhorting them to be strong in him by trusting in him. By putting their full weight of dependency and faith in him. The Lord gave similar words to Isaiah and Jeremiah as well. Isaiah chapter 6. Tremendous passage of scripture you can read tonight and see what it is that, that God had said unto him. Or Jeremiah chapter 1 and what the Lord said to the prophet Jeremiah. When Jeremiah said that he was too young, it's not about youth when God calls you. It's about what he already knows about us, which we don't know about much about ourselves. What we know about ourselves is, uh, you know, pretty obvious if we're honest. We're weak. We're not always wise. And we're sinners. We struggle with things, with temptations and all. But when God dealt with Ezekiel and with Isaiah and Jeremiah, all three were spoken to within the context of speaking to a nation facing God's judgment. Each and every one. Furthermore, God would make the prophet's forehead, in other words, Ezekiel's forehead, harder than the hardest stone. And I'm not saying that he's a cabezón or a hard head, you know, a Spanish for, you know. No, no, he, he made his forehead harder in that he made his mind harder. He strengthened his mind. 
He strengthened his way of thinking when we see the world in a certain condition, in a certain way. We could either run the other direction or we can trust in God to strengthen us in our way of thinking. You see, our perspective has to change. If God is on our side, then our, then our perspective has to change. And by the way, God is on our side if we are on his side. And we, we, we need to understand that. I've seen, I've seen some billboards out there that God is on your side. Can you imagine a sinner saying, great, God's on my side no matter what I do. We, we have to understand perspective here, biblical perspective. I want you to be on God's side because God is going to be on your side if you're on his side. Draw near to God, James says in his, in his uh, epistle. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So God is going to strengthen the mind of the prophet harder than the hardest stone, the unbreakable stone. In other words, far more determined in the cause of God than the people were in their, their wickedness. The prophet would be far more determined in the cause of God than the people were in their wickedness. We need to be far more determined in the cause of God than the people are that we are coming to with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, this is, the, this is the war of determination. Who's more determined? We know that the wickedness of man is, is you know, the people who really love what they're doing, they're, they're determined in their wickedness. But if we're not determined in the cause of Christ, what's wrong with that picture? Ezekiel could remain courageous and fearless because of God's presence and, and power. The Lord would equip the, the prophet in a very special way to fulfill his ministry. Notice in verse 10, it says, Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee, receive in thine heart and hear with thine ears, and go get thee to them of the captivity, unto the children of thy people, and speak unto them, and tell them, Thus saith the Lord God. Whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. And by the way, the word forbear here, and we ran into it last week, and I was just waiting to get over here to, you know, to, to define it. Because to forbear here literally means to forsake. So he says, Get thee to them of the captivity and to the children of thy people, and speak unto them and tell them, Thus saith the Lord God, whether they will hear or whether they will forsake. Whether they will hear or whether they will reject or desist from the truth. You go and tell them, thus saith the Lord. And remember this, God already has told them, they're not going to listen. And then the Spirit took me up. And I heard behind me a voice of, of a great rushing, saying, Blessed be the glory of the Lord from his place. I heard also the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another, and the noise of the wheels over against them, and the noise of a great rushing. And again, he's, he's taken into that vision of 
of the glory of God and the, uh, the cherubim and the angels that serve God, you know, and, and what he saw, he, you know, he, he uh, described to us in, in, in words that he knew, but, but what we can't really know until we see it ourselves. But this is the very presence of God in heaven that he begins to hear this really as an encouragement. Notice in verse 14 it says, So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit. As if to say he had, he had now seen what God wanted him to see about the hearts and the minds and the attitudes of the people. And remember, he had partaken of the word that though it was sweet in his mouth, it was bitter to, his, to the depths of his, of his own soul. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. I think I would underline that in your Bibles. The hand of the Lord was strong upon me. I was taken up by the Lord. I was bitter and, and you know, I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit. I was seething, as it were. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. And then I came to them in the, of the captivity at Tel Aviv. Again, not the Tel Aviv of Israel but the place called the Mound of the Green Grain that dwelt by the river of Kabar. And I sat where they sat. Underline that phrase. And I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. I find that an interesting time frame. To be there sitting for seven days sounds very similar to the friends of Job who came and sat with Job in his, in his mourning after having lost so much and even of his own children. And these three friends of Job came and sat silent for seven days with, with their friend Job. But Ezekiel said, I sat where they sat. This is important for us today. The Lord is telling the prophet to pay attention, to listen to the voice of God. But how, how is that done? Well, primarily through his word. Listening to his still small voice that speaks to our hearts as we seek him in his word. The Lord tells Ezekiel to take in all, all of God's words, the blessings and the judgments, and don't edit anything out. But then he tells the prophet to speak forth his word, whether the people hear it and whether they accept it not. Because you see, it's our responsibility that people get saved. Or it isn't, I should say. Our responsibility. Let me, let me rephrase that. It isn't our responsibility that people get saved. Now just bear with me here for a minute. It isn't our responsibility that people get saved. It is our responsibility 
to be the farmer that sows the seeds of God's word and love. It is the responsibility of us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The results do not belong to us. The results belong to him. It is God who adds to the church daily those who are being saved. But it comes because his people have not been ashamed or afraid to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility. But it is the Spirit of God who is responsible for bringing forth life in the hearts of people, isn't it? It's the responsibility of the Spirit of God. We just read this in John chapter 6 the other day. Verse 63. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. In other words, it is the Spirit that makes alive. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The Word and the Spirit. The responsibility for bringing life to people is in the Word and the Spirit. And as the Lord picks Ezekiel up to transport him to the captives in Tel Aviv, he also hears the noise of the four cherubim moving and the sound of a thundering voice shouting a song of praise to God. Now this could all be considered a blessed encouragement by God. But in spite of these confirmations of God's glory and power, the prophet was less than enthusiastic about answering God's call. That's verse 14, by the way. I went in bitterness, notice. I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. God's hand urged him forward. Listen, let God's hand urge you forward. Let God's hand urge you forward in your calling, in your ministry, in what God has given you gifts and talents to do. Let God urge you forward. And then verse 15, as I said before, has a very significant statement by the prophet. I sat where they sat. I sat where they sat. You can say that Ezekiel walked a mile in their sandals. I walked where they walked. I've been where they've been. I sit where they sat. He sat with them. And there's a tremendous sense of identification in his sitting. He identified with their struggle. He identified with their pain. He identified with their struggle in the, in the issue of, of sin in their lives. He would begin to see how desperately they needed to be saved from sin and from the misery and the hopelessness of their captivity. When a person comes to Jesus Christ, and, and we should all know this, because if it hasn't happened to us, then it hasn't happened. But when we come to that place in our lives that that we realize how awful the sin that we committed in our lives was 
to put Jesus on the cross and to bear our sins on our behalf. And we begin to, we begin to weep over how we have offended him because we lived our lives for ourselves and not for him, not for the one who created us and gave us life. You know, we live in a society nowadays that tends to make everybody believe that all we do is, you know, we, we, we're self-made people. But each and every one of us was born the same way. We came into the world the same way. Now, I'm not talking about whether you were born naturally or by cesarean section. I'm not talking about that. We were born into, into this world in sin. Every one of us. There was only one that was born on this earth that was without sin. And I'm talking, of course, after the fall, but there was one only, and that was Jesus himself. And we all came into this life. There was some sense of a general grace of God that we grew up and we were given what we had and what we needed, and, and we had... You know, our parents uh, be responsible for us for a certain amount of time. And, uh, but then we get to a place where we begin to expand, you know, our, our, our wings out, as it were, and try to discover life as we want it to be lived. And, and whether it's all because of the influence that we received in TV or in the movies or in the magazines or whatever else, you know, we go searching And if we were brought up in the church, if some of us weren't, but uh, you know, but if we were brought up in the church, you know, we were told about Jesus. Many of us knew about Jesus, but we didn't know why every year we would look at him on a cross, and why you know there was always a, a celebration after that because he was, you know risen from the dead. And it didn't sink in. Maybe for many of us, it just never really sunk in. Until we came to the realization that we were lost. And it wasn't based on what we had in life, but it was based on this emptiness in our lives. that God himself revealed to us one day and all of us in a different way. And yet, when we heard the good news, when we heard the good news of Jesus Christ, something changed in us. But it wasn't anything we did. All along, God knew. All along, God was working. All along, he was pursuing our hearts. As one author and poet called him, the hound of heaven, the spirit of God pursuing our hearts.
We didn't love him first. He first loved us. We didn't find him first. He, he first found us. <laughs> he sought us out. It's coming to that understanding of, of that hopelessness. Of the finite life that we have. Of knowing that this life in this body can only live so long. And realizing, while there are many voices that say, you know, you should have this uh, in your life, or you should have that in your life, or you should actually believe in, in some kind of, you know, new age mysticism, and then you can be God yourself, only to know that there's still an emptiness. God provided his word to someone that opened our eyes to the truth. And so I, I said all that to say that even as, as believers in Jesus Christ, we, we need to understand the desperation of, of the heart without Christ. But we need to understand it now based on two things. The first thing is we've been there and we've sat where they sit. And we sit where they've been. And we can't forget. It's not supposed to be an automatic thing. It's not supposed to be, you know, let's go see how many converts we can make ourselves and put notches on our belt. It's not about that. It's about life and death. It's about life that's everlasting. And I'm so thankful for the person that shared the gospel with me to where he wasn't sharing to me the gospel of a person who lived and died and stayed dead. But he shared the good news of a person who lived forever, put flesh upon himself because he knew that we couldn't save ourselves and came here, God in the flesh, and died on my behalf and defeated sin and death by rising three days later. That, my friends, sets us free when we believe what Christ has done for us. Ezekiel knew that only the Lord could save and deliver his people. Realizing their desperate need and the burden of their souls, Ezekiel would begin to be burdened for them. He would see the consequences of their wicked behavior, the guilt, the sorrow, the misery, the anger, the hostility, and all the other things that afflict the wicked of the earth. Feeling their suffering and their pain, he would more readily surrender to God's call. And we're told in verse 16, it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die 
in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Again. When a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning. He shall die in his sin. And his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered. But his blood will I require at thine hand. And now this is heavy, isn't it? I mean, this is, this is weighty stuff. We're getting ready to close here pretty soon. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man <clears throat> that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live, because he has warned also thou hast delivered thy soul. Now let me say that Ezekiel assumes the role here of a spiritual watchman. A watchman was a person who sat on the wall of a city when and when he saw danger coming, he would, he would sound the alarm to warn the people, usually the blasts of a shofar. Obviously, it was a very important position. To fail in your duty could mean the death of many people. A prophet of God was responsible to speak forth the words of God, whether it was good or bad, blessings or cursings, and there are consequences for not acting. But for the sake of rightly dividing this passage, I want to pick up here next time because I want to go over this passage again in a much more detailed way. But I want to leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian elders. He says to them in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 and 27, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. What Paul says here at the end of, at the end of his ministry in, there in, in the area of Ephesus and his preparation now to leave there to go to Jerusalem was one of great concern to Paul because in the next few verses after this he talks about the wolves that would secretly come into the church, both from outside and inside. And he was concerned, as we should have been concerned over the last 150 years in the church, where so much has been happening to water down the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul makes it really clear. He says, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. He took seriously the call of the watchman and the things that God was saying to Ezekiel about how you are to warn people. And Paul sets it very clear here for us, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. All the counsel of God. Not the parts of the Bible that we want to hear. 
but all the council. Because there will be a time, and there is a time now, and there has been a time over the many years of the church that grievous wolves have entered in, which is what Paul said. If I may read on, even though I don't have it up here, it says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God. Feed the church what? The word of God. The counsel of God. Feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. That's been happening for 2,000 years. But the warning is still here in the scriptures. And we want you to realize that there are consequences for not doing what needs to be done with the Word of God. So we'll pick up here in our, in our study and uh, be a little bit more detailed in the issue of, of the watchman next, next time. And what I will intend to do, and, and part, partly, part of the problem was we've been trying to get this new setup going with this, this new uh, present, presentation thing, but uh, my, my intention really is, is by next week to be finished also with, with chapter 4, so we'll, we'll do the rest of chapter 3 here, which is not too much, and then we'll finish off cha chapter 4 next week, because I, as I mentioned last time, we're, we're really going to want to move on uh, in, in a more general sense and a quicker sense to get to some critical uh, chapters in the 20s and 30s of the book of Ezekiel, okay? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much that even in the life of the prophet Ezekiel, Lord, we, we can be uh, encouraged and exhorted by your word to be determined for the cause of Christ. And I pray, Father, that tonight... Um, you will help us to take what we have listened to and what we've learned and, and, and to meditate upon these things and, and, Lord, to read them again and to be encouraged by them, to be exhorted by them, even admonished by them, Lord, certainly to be challenged by, by these things. Because in the, in the high calling that you have given to us, Lord, of being your people, of being your servants, Each and every one of us having the responsibility to be proclaimers of your word and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we need, Lord God, your strength and we need your spirit and we need your help in our time, in our times of need to, to press forward, Lord. That's, that's why the mention of, of your hand being upon Ezekiel to to move him along and to move him forward is the hand that we need as well. So, Father, help us in understanding these things tonight. 
And I pray, Father, that you'll help us also to adjust to all of these new changes that we're making because I know that they're helping our live stream and, and they will be helping our live stream more once we get the hang of it. But, um, but also we want the um, uh, congregation here, Lord, both on Wednesday night and Saturday and Sunday to, uh, to be fed right and to be fed fully and properly. So that's our desire. May you bless us in that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shall we stand? We're, we're going to, one other thing we're going to do, and I, I'm just going to speak out loud here, but I, I think we're, we're, we're a little bit too, too dark in here. I don't like the darkness of it, but uh, we're trying to be able to see all the screens uh, in a good way. So if it's a little too dark, uh, you know, just bear with us. We're going to try to resolve some, some issues. We've been talking about how we're going to try to do that. Because these, these lights are really fixed. When, you know, when we first came in, that's, that's what we could afford. That's why we got those lights up there. So we can't dim them or anything like that when we need to and have a whole set of lights when we need to. So we either have them or we don't. But, but I don't like, uh, you know, I think it's a little bit too, too dark. And I think, because I really want you to read your Bibles, but I, I'm like looking at you all like, 